And without further ado, I'd like to call my friend up, Colin. Praise God. I'm not going to say anything about his football team tonight, I promise. <laughs> and he might talk about mine. <laughs> uh, how's your Hebrew? Oh, look at me now. What's he saying? Oh, please don't tell him. Jack Kelly speaking Hebrew. You do it all the time. That's a nice one. That was in a nice black country accent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they might have understood that where I'm coming from, but that's okay. That's all right, I was going to try. No, but every time you say hallelujah, you're speaking Hebrew. Every time you say Coca-Cola, you're speaking Hebrew. That's true, honestly. Um, it's so good to be with you, and I just want to pray for God. So let's just do that, and then we'll move right on. So, Abba, I just want to thank you for your sons, your daughters here tonight. Lord, we are your remnant. We are your kingdom people. Lord, we pray, come. Come among us. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, by your Ruach HaKadosh, your Holy Spirit. And just bless us, we pray. Draw us closer to you. In Yeshua, Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs> so, uh, I'm figuring that most of you don't know me. And that's okay, because um, you're going to be by the end of the evening. Um, I really want to give you a chance to ask questions at some point. So, you know, when it comes to Israel, you're going to have to hear the word Israel, and that can create problems for some people. Um, and by the way, how many of you have been to Israel? Ooh, yeah, less than half. Less than half. I hear Robert's um, very happy to pay your airfares <laughs> to come over. I hope you know I've been encouraging him throughout the year. You know, throughout the football season, he was pretty depressed most of the time. You know? I said, don't worry, Robert. Walls will stay up. They will. And because it was a prophetic word, they did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, my name is Colin Mitchell. That's a very English name because I grew up in England. But I grew up in a semi-Orthodox Jewish family in the east side of London, in the East End. No, I mean, yeah, I guess a cup of tea. <laughs> the only problem was that my parents insisted that we all spoke properly and got a good education. So we weren't allowed to talk like that, even though I was surrounded by people who talked like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, my father served in the Royal Air Force during World War II. And he flew in Lancaster, Bob was very proud of his service in the British Royal Air Force. Uh, I mention that because growing up Jewish, post-war, after World War II, I'm not that old, by the way, but, <laughs> but I came to faith in the Lord in a predominantly black Pentecostal church in London over 44 years ago, when I was a rebellious young man. And um, in fact, I was ministering in a church like that this morning, 
and at least 30 people from my past came. And I was like looking at all these people thinking, oh, they remember. They remember. Um, and my family, you know, the Jewish people, the anti-Semitism, I'm going to say things that you might not like, so please forgive me. This is not an attack on Great Britain. But after the war, there was so much anti-Semitism in Britain. See, we think of it in Germany, right, where I go a lot. But there was loads of it in Britain. The British had the mandate over what is now Israel. There was uh, terrorism going on against the British mandate. So British people were getting angry and upset with Jewish people. And uh, lots of Jewish families in Europe, in Britain, in the United States of America, changed their family name in order to get a job or to just, it wouldn't appear from their name that they were Jewish. So actually my original family name before I was born was Mint, M-I-N-T-Z, which is an extremely Jewish name. Uh, I won't go into all the history of the name, but believe me, it's got incredible roots. And so my parents, you know, we grew up as the youngest, the youngest is always the best looking in the family, for sure. <laughs> Any youngest here? You agree, don't you? Come on. And, uh, and um, two older brothers, my mom and dad, went to Jewish schools, was Barmitzvah at the age of 13. At the Jewish schools, we were not allowed to go home on our own because we were under assault. The Church of England school next door, the kids there would call us Christ killers. And um, I actually got hit over the head once. I, I was at playing fields, playing football, wearing the red of Liverpool, of course. And, no shit. Uh, okay, you're safe. What else? Just you. Just you and me, brother. Uh, don't worry, we'll be back next evening. And um, I got hit over the head with an iron bar, which may explain my sense of humor. Um, but it was a skinhead, he was a big guy. He hit me somehow. I didn't fall to the ground, I didn't get knocked out. And I had my sock and my football boots tied together. And I swished them. And I confess to you, I still have great pleasure. And what I did was I actually smashed him in the head with my football I wasn't a believer then. But I am now and I still get pleasure out of it. And, and, and I hit him over the head and he ran away. I was spat at. I remember being on a London underground train. And, and uh, these skinheads were coming because I had my Jewish uniform on with the menorah that was on my blazer. I had a kipper on my head. Uh, and it was a packed tube train. Here, here! Oh, let's beat him up. Come on, let's get him. And an old lady went, leave him alone. Get off, leave him alone. And they fled. They fled the old lady. Thank God for that woman. Uh, so I grew up in that kind of environment. And I couldn't understand. I said, Dad, Mom, why was the name changed before I was born, by the way? Why did you change the name? I mean, Mom, you go to work. She was the 
administrator, wearing a huge star of David right today. Why do you do that? You wear it, you're not hiding it. And at the same time, we change the name. She used to say, well, go away. <laughs> I don't want to explain to you the ins and outs of it, but it was definitely because of the anti-Semitism in post-war Britain. If ever any of you have really, you may be in your past, you felt a kind of hatred for Jewish people for no apparent reason, and you want a prayer to break it off once and for all, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do that. I've done it before. And uh, sometimes I don't normally offer that, but I just felt I should mention it in passing. Um, so my wife, Helen, who is not Jewish, she is my English rose. Ah, you have some romance in you. <laughs> we need that, otherwise we're struggling. Um, and I made Aliyah, became citizens of Israel. We've now been living in Israel uh, for the best part of 15 years. And we've seen incredible things happening. We serve full-time in the leadership of Kehillah Takamel. That's the Carmel congregation on the very top of Mount Carmel, Biblical Carmel, uh, where Elijah confronted the false prophets of Baal. That's exactly where we are. We live on the slopes of Mount Carmel, kind of halfway up, uh, which means we can get to the supermarket a bit easier. <laughs> and, um, and we're there in a congregation of Jews and Arabs worshipping the Lord together. <laughs> Jews and Arabs. And I'm going to tell you a lot more in a short while, but before I get into anything, and even the PowerPoint that I want to show you, we're going to play one more song. I'm going to, you know, when I came to faith as a Jewish man in London, I used to go to church on a Sunday morning, and I used to say to myself, well, there are two Jews in my church, Jesus and me. He's Jewish, by the way, in case you were wondering. Uh, I know that they may look blonde-haired and blue-eyed, he looked more Swedish than Jewish. No Swedes here. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, they made him Swedish. I didn't know he was Jewish. I didn't know he was Jewish until my father took me to see the film Ben Hur. And I thought, that's strange. He's Jewish. Why are those Christian kids spitting on us? And so they say in Israel, 56 years ago, in a very important year, 1967, for those of you who are old enough to remember it. 56 years ago, it is estimated there were 50 Jews living in Israel who believed in Jesus, Yeshua, as Lord. Just 50. A tiny drop in the ocean. Today, 56 years later, over 30,000. The Jews are getting ready. They're being restored, not only to the land, but back into the kingdom of God and getting ready to welcome him back to Jerusalem. That's a message the church needs to so I want to show you young Jewish people from different congregations worshipping the Lord in Jerusalem. And here it comes. And some of them are from our, in fact, the lead singer is from our community. Here it goes.
That's the first message for the church in the black country. The Jews again ready to welcome him back to Jerusalem. He looked over Jerusalem, Matthew 23, 37 to verses 39, right at the end. And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens. But you refused. This is how you know. Who was he talking to? The Jews. You refused. You're the ones who stoned the prophets. That's the Jewish people. They're good at that. You're the ones who stoned the prophets. You refused God's messengers. And you will not see me again, said the Lord, until, thank God for that word, until you yourselves welcome me back with the words Baruch Haba Hashem Adonai. Not in a black country accent. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, guess what? That was in Jerusalem. We have congregations all over the land, over a hundred congregations, 30,000 plus believers. I said plus, there are so many secret believers. And our congregation on Mount Carmel, let's, uh, let's start getting the slides up, Cameron, please. It's a good name, Cameron. Begins with C. <laughs> so, yeah. And let's go to the first slide, please. And this is our congregation inside. Uh, worshipping the Lord on the top of Mount Carmel, Jews and Arabs and others, because my wife is another, she's not a Jew, she's not an Arab, she's another, worshipping the Lord together on the top of Mount Carmel. We call ourselves a one new man congregation, Ephesians chapter 2, that God has broken down the middle wall of partition and made one new man in Christ, one new man in Messiah, out of the two. Who are the two? Jews and non-Jews. Or in our context in Israel, Jews and Arabs made us one new man, removing the hatred. And anytime you think of, you hear the word Israel in the news, it's bad news. I want to give you good news, because God's moving. Things are happening. And people are worshipping on the top of Biblical Mount Carmel. Jews and Arabs, our worship band, would be interested to know, is Jews, Arabs, and a German. Because, because the Germans get everywhere. Because they get all the best places on the beach, right? No. Um, and, <laughs> I love the Germans, I go there every year, pretty much. Um, here's the thing, because, you know, we have, like, for instance, and it's not actually that German that's in the worship band, but our youth leader, our youth pastor, is a Jew, and his wife's a German. I'm a Jew, and my wife, an English Jew, albeit, and my wife is English, but she's not Jewish. So there you got the others. Um, but we have Jews and Arabs worshiping the Lord together. Now, we do need to pray for politicians. And my God, they need prayer right now. What a mess in the West. We'll talk about that in a while. But there is a peace process. They've been trying for years. Every president of the United States, probably in all of our lifetimes, has been trying to impose some kind of political peace process. And it won't work. But you should still pray for them. But there is a peace process that will work. And here's that. Ah, he's the prince of peace. He removes 
the hatred. And uh, we'll come more to that. Let's go to the next slide, please, Sir Cameron. I've just knighted you on behalf of King Charles. Uh, okay, and I really want to read this. So, okay. This is an Arab brother. He's actually a, like a spiritual son. I'm a Jew, he's an Arab. Just take a look at that for a moment. Because they don't show you this in the BBC. The Lincoln Broadcasters. <laughs> they don't show you in Sky News. Sky's getting just as bad, by the way. I see Sky a lot, and it's horrible at times. Um, last year we had riots in the land. And there was some killing, some Arabs died, some Jewish people died. And Johnny, his name is, because he changed his name. I'll tell you his real name in a minute. Johnny <coughs> called me up and left a voice message on the phone. And he knows I'm sharing this and he's very happy for me to share it. Um, and he said, Colin, I just feel the need, I just feel the need today to talk to someone who's Jewish. To say, I love you. To say, you're my brother. To say, I love all the people in the land, Jews and Arabs together. This is the heart of an Arab. To say, it's dreadful what's happening in our land and the hatred, but we're together. We must stand together. We must pray together. We must worship together. These were his words. And then he finished the message with, I love you, I love you, I love you. He said it more times than his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I went and looked for him the next day to give him a hug, basically. Just a bit to stand alongside him when we took his photo. Johnny isn't his real name, his real name is Jihad. He grew up hating the Jews. He grew up, was told when he was a boy to pick up rocks. And if you see a Jewish person driving a car, throw the rocks at the car. As he got older, he became rebellious, just as well, really, because God loves rebels. You're a rebel, he loves you. There's nothing in order to be a follower of the Lord in 2023, wherever we are, we are rebelling against the world. Let's understand that we are rebels together for the kingdom of God. So he grew up hating the Jews, and then when he got older, he said, Well, why should I hate them? They haven't done anything to me. Um, he ended up in our, we have a drug and alcohol rehabilitation program for Jewish and Arab men together. Very interesting to see what happens when they room together. Um, and, and Johnny went in the, in the program, Jihad, and his roommate was Yossi, the son of an, uh, a Yemenite Jewish rabbi. Both of them had troubles with alcohol. They both got delivered and set free. They both came to Yeshua and they both became brothers. Yossi and Jihad. And as I said, you won't hear this in the news media. Jihad. You know, I'm, I'm one of the only Jews I know who has defeated Jihad at table tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and he chose to call himself Johnny. He's now married. Got two beautiful children. He loves the Lord. In Arabic, he loves Yasua. And he loves Israel, 
loves the Jewish people. And I want to encourage you, when you pray for the people, don't take sides. Don't start loving one side. Oh, I love the Jews. I hate the Arabs. I've had people come up to me and say that. Who were supposed to be followers of the Lord, who said, love your enemies. That's very tough. Love one another. In fact, we want to talk, I'm going to talk to you about love today. Love never fails. Don't hate the Arabs. Don't hate the Jews. Without the Jews, you don't have a Bible. Without the Jews, you don't have a Savior. But the anti-Semitism is massive. And it's growing. It's not getting less. It's getting more. People ask me, why is there so much hatred of the Jewish people? And I say, well, the only rational explanation is that it's irrational. Therefore, it's demonic. It's evil. And, um, yeah, I'm going to steer clear of UK politics. I don't want to get into that. Um, let's go to the next slide, please. Uh, so last year, as I said, we had these riots, and one of the riots took place in the city of Yaffa, which is just south. It's a biblical city. Paul was there. Just south of Tel Aviv. You can literally see Tel Aviv in the distance, in the, in the photograph. Jewish and Arab leaders coming together to pray together to cry out together, to cleanse the land together. And I watched, I was there, and I took that photograph. Two women were there, an Arab woman and a Jewish woman. And the Arab woman, the one of whom we were from Nazareth. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, she was weeping. She cried out, Lord, Please forgive the Arab people their hatred of the Jews. As an Arab, she's praying this prayer. Please, Lord, I repent on behalf of my Arab people, my brothers and sisters, for their hatred of the Jews. And then the Jewish, and they're, they're holding each other. And then the Jewish sister said, Yes, and I, I repent of the hatred of the Jewish people towards the Arab people. And it was a privilege just to be there and watch that prayer. I prayed, others prayed. I watched that and thought, wow, only God could do this. Only God could set this up. We are praying. We know that millions have been praying for Israel in recent times. There was a 21-day call to prayer. Uh, our congregation was involved in that. Uh, but please don't stop praying now that the 21 days are over. That's the danger of 21 days of prayer. People think, oh well, that's it, we've done that. Let's move on to the black country now. We'll pray for them. <laughs> Let's move to the next slide, Cameron, thanks. Yeah, I want to tell you the story of this. Anyone know what it is? Yes. You get the prize and Robert will give it to It's a yad. Yad in Hebrew means hand, but it's a pointer. Uh, it's missing the kind of, well, it has a point to the end. And it's used in synagogue services by the Jewish people when they're reading from the Torah scrolls and they take them out and they lay them down. The person who's reading doesn't touch the scroll. In order to preserve the scrolls, they have as little contact with human people as possible. So they use the Yad and follow the Yad as they read 
in the Hebrew. When I was probably at the age of 13, that is what I did. I followed the Yad. But that Yad has a story, and I, I want to share it with you. Your good Christian people who believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Back in 1940, 1940, there was a, a Bible-believing Christian in the city of Leiden in Holland called Daniel Elkegaard. Loved the Lord. And he was by profession a plasterer. And he had done some work for the Jewish community on their synagogue building from time to time. And the Nazis were coming. And the Jewish people, the leaders of that community, went to him and they said, listen, you know the Nazis are coming, would you take our Torah scrolls and hide them for us? Because otherwise the Nazis would destroy them. So it sort of, kind of reminds you of the story of Corrie ten Boom, for those of you who know, she hid, or her family hid people behind the wall um, in uh, Harlem, in northern Holland. But this is Leiden, it's more south. Notice these people didn't say, hide us. They said, could you hide the Torah scrolls? That's something. So he, did, he didn't even tell his family. If it had come out, their lives would have been a total risk, totally out of the phone. And at the end of the war, that's when the rest of the family found out. He built a, a secret wall and put the Torah scroll behind the wall. At the end of the war, those members of the Jewish community who had survived came back and said, we really want to thank you. We really appreciate you. This is the end of the war now, 1945. And could we have our Torah scrolls back, please? And um, as he was giving them that, they said, we want to give you a token of our appreciation. And they presented this Bible-believing Christian with this yet. But I did not actually at the top. So it stayed in that family in Holland until I showed up preaching in a church in the south of Holland. And on the Sunday morning, the granddaughter of that man came to me. Her name's Mika. She came to me, tears rolling down her face. She said, This has been in our family for these generations but can't keep it anymore. It really belongs in Israel. Would you please receive this and take it back to Israel with you? I, I was moved. I knew exactly you know, immediately what it was, and I thought, oh my gosh. And it turns out that this Yad was at least 150 years old, maybe more. And I knew I was bringing it back. So I went back, and then guess what happened? Lockdown. COVID, yeah, we were affected too. And hasn't it impacted the body of believers because it divided us? People are still arguing, they're still trying to justify their positions, one one side or the other, about the whole situation. So I couldn't do anything, but I sent an email to the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem, Yad Vashem. And I said, I've received this Yad, I don't want it to just sit in my drawer. I'd like to give it to you. And I told them the story of a Bible-believing Christian who hid the Jewish Torah scroll from the Nazis, risked his life 
and the life of his family. And the Orthodox Jews in Yad Vashem, most of them are Orthodox, said, yes, we would love this, but we had to put it on hold until after all the lockdowns and everything else. So eventually I was able to take the Yad to the Holocaust Memorial Museum. I told them clearly who I was. I'm a Messianic pastor. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. I'm a Jewish follower of Yeshua. I wanted them to know. It was a Bible-believing Christian in Holland, a Gentile, who hid this. And you need to have the whole story, you Orthodox Jews, if you're going to display this in Yad Vashem. And they, they were, it was amazing. They had a press photographer. I mean, it was a huge event. I never would have dreamt I would have a chance to do this. And um, so I was taken to a part of Yad Vashem, if any of you have ever been there, that most people would never get to see. And, and they said, listen, we're going to display this. Periodically, it will be on display, and the story will be told. And school children, Israeli school children, will come, and they will see this. And it's, it's going to be part of their education. I was like, wow. And then I began to think about this. I received that yard. I mean, this is great. It's the Christian church and the Jewish synagogue, and I was kind of lying on the floor as a bridge, the Jewish believer in Yeshua that could pass this yard from the church, effectively, back to the synagogue, in love, in love. And then I was able to go back to Holland, next slide please, camera, and that's me presenting the yard in Jerusalem, Next slide. Okay, we'll come to that. Go back to me presenting the ad. Thanks. <laughs> um, and that's an orthodox, she's an orthodox Jewish woman. I'm giving her the ad. And uh, I was able to take, they gave me certificates. And I was able to take a certificate from Yadvashim, get it framed, go back to Holland and present it to the granddaughter of Daniel Elkabart. And say, you can go there anytime you like and see the ad. There's more even to the story, but I haven't got time right now, so we'll move on swiftly. And now go to the next slide. And that's Helen. And this, with Helen, is our adopted son, Yaakov. And uh, let's go to the next slide. I hope you're jealous about the sun, although we, you have a bit right now, but it'll soon be ready, don't worry. And, <laughs> and that's me with our adopted daughter, Hannah. Yaakov and Hannah are fully biological brother and sister. And by birth, they're both Jewish and Arab. Yaakov came to us the age of three months. The Israeli authorities, who don't like people like me, said, you're, you're the right people for this baby. Yaakov, when he was a baby, was three months old. Because he's both Jewish and Arab. And we took him legally took five years the legal process of adoption. All the professional people that were coming, Jewish social workers, Arab social workers, doctors, lawyers, health professionals, they all heard the gospel as a result. <laughs> what did you believe again? Yeshua is the Messiah. What? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeshua has a name, and his name is being declared in Israel like never before. 
By the way, the amount of believers in Israel, there are so many Jews coming to faith. There has never been this amount of Jewish believers in the Lord in history. Even when you, they wrote about it in the book of Acts. There are more today than there were then. That's worth considering <coughs> for a moment. Um, so that's Hannah. And they became, because of their origins, Yaakov came at the age of three months, and when he was one and a half, the social worker came to see us, was very nervous, and said, uh, uh, there's something I need to ask you about. Yeah, he said, ask us. And she said, well, the birth parents of Yaakov are having another baby. Would you? Double nappies. Double powdered milk. Double trouble. Double noise. And we said yes, and Hannah came to us from birth. I'll tell you more about Hannah a bit later. Please move on. We'll see a different, clearer picture of both of them now. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, chap uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, we just celebrated it just a couple of weeks ago. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together. That who were together? The Jews who believed in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and 3,000 other Jews came to faith that day in Jerusalem. It's very Jewish to be a follower of Jesus. It's later, right about Acts 8, 9, 10, 11. That's when the Gentiles come in. We celebrate, that was then going to school. In school, they always wear white when they eat Shabbat and everybody eats cheesecake. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, they're growing up. I'll tell you more about them a bit later. Let's move on. Yes, that's out, the outside of our worship building on Mount Carmel. Every March and every November, we have Israel study tours where we take people, we share on site teaching. Also, you get to hear from Jewish and Arab believers. So you don't you see all the key biblical sites, but you also hear from the living stones. And that's what God is doing in Israel today as well as what he did 2,000 years ago and before. And lastly, yeah, here in the black country, you sure could do with a little sea, couldn't you? <laughs> and this is, <laughs> this is a Mediterranean, it's just purely there to provoke you to jealousy. <laughs> because I can get in my car, I'll be there in about 15 to 20 minutes. Yes. I just thought I'd upset you. Alright, let's, let's get into the word. And um, first of all, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 says something we all know. Three little words. Love never fails. Love never fails. How do we respond to what is happening around us. Uh, in Israel, we've had uh, 20,000 Ukrainian refugees. Our ministry centers are full of both Ukrainians and Russians. There's also 10,000 Russians fled Putin. We're not living under him anymore. And came pouring into Israel, 10,000 from Russia, approximately 20,000 from Ukraine. Not all Jewish, by the way. Some of them have been coming to the Lord, coming to faith, while they've been with us. It's quite wonderful to see. Um, so we know all about the war in Ukraine and we've almost got tired of it. Yet they really need prayer. It's getting serious. And by the way, Britain's at the forefront. 
And you get the kind of feeling that there are some people in the Kremlin who would kind of like to fire something this way. Well, in Israel, we're used to that. People wanting to fire at us. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, let me just say this, and I want to say this because in the context of love never fails. We sat down as a leadership team on Mount Carmel when it became clear that this whole COVID vaccine issue, I'm going where people fear to tread, um, <laughs> became a huge thing that was people were arguing over, disagreeing over, should we take it, should we not take it? Is it, is it the, the mark of the beast? You ever you hear that one? I want to say it, it isn't. It clearly isn't. If you want me to explain that later, I will. I don't want to right now. But we came to the conclusion that we would not be divided on the issue. That we would say to our people, you are free to make a choice, and it's a respectful choice either way, and we will not disrespect the choice. Even in the leadership team, or one or two people who, who disagree with others, I'm not going to go into what, who, and how. But the reality was, Psalm 133, behold, look, how good it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Because there, in the unity, it says, the Lord commands the blessing of life forevermore. And the minute we start arguing or saying, I'm right, I look at this, look at here, and I've seen this, how people get into this thing where they feel that they have to justify their position, and they start arguing, and then they cause effects by telling somebody else that they did something they shouldn't have done or didn't do something they should have done. Listen, unity trumps the arguments. Unity brings life. You know, we have in Israel today a government, in the 15 years we've lived there, we've never seen anything like this, where there are protests every week. The government has, is extreme. There's no doubt we have extremists in our government who should not be anywhere near the decision-making process. And I say that to some people who loves my nation, who we pray for this, we pray for our leaders, but there are people in the government who should not be there. And so we need a lot of prayer. Uh, they hate each other, and therefore it's not sustainable. There are people in our government that absolutely hate each other. So we don't, in Israel, we do what so many people do around the world. We vote negatively. We vote not who we should think should win, but who we think should not win. <laughs> then God is moving upon our children. We see young people, our young people, we've never seen this before in our country. Suddenly God's raising up the next generation. And we see our youth worshipping the Lord in a way, the hunger, the thirst, the passion that we've not witnessed before in our youth. It's exciting. I'm not talking about, yes, you know, juniors, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, teenagers, those who are about to go into the army, but also in our children as well. One of our staff had a, had a dream. And the dream was that the children were having dreams about Yeshua that he was coming to them in the children's dreams. 
So my wife heads up the Shabbat equivalent of Sunday school in your churches, and she said, she's got all the kids. said, children, have any of you had dreams recently where Yeshua's coming to you? And loads of hands went up. You will dream dreams. You will see visions. The prophecies in the book of Joel upon the children. It's happening. And now I want to tell you another story while I was in Holland. And while I was in Holland, Helen messaged me. said, Hannah, something amazing is happening. I said, what? What's going on? She said, well, they were driving up to our worship center. And Hannah, uh, she was six then, she's seven. She said, mommy, is it true you can worship God in another language? Let's not get into the theological arguments. Is it true you can worship God in another language, in another tongue? And uh, Helen said, yes, yes, this is true. You can. And then she said, because last night I was praying to Yeshua, six-year-old. I was praying to Yeshua and I said, Lord, give me another language. And then she opened her mouth in the back of the car and began to sing in tongues. And she's been doing it ever since. And it's not a performance. It's powerful. And it's a fulfillment of prophetic the prophetic word of God. Now listen to this. Jeremiah 30, verses 1 to 3. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in the book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you, for behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will cause them to return to the land, we're back. We've been back since 1948 and before to some extent. To return to the land that I gave to their fathers. Who were the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they shall possess it, says the Lord. This is God's faithfulness towards the Jewish people. In spite of the slaughter and the persecutors and the hatred and the murder, He's always preserved us. And he's fulfilled his word. We're back exactly as was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. In the shadow of a Babylonian captivity, God tells the people through Jeremiah some realities that are true even today. Jeremiah, and this is so true, Jeremiah 30 verse 12, For thus says the Lord, this is to the Jewish, Your affliction is incurable. Your wound is is severe. And I've heard and listened to Holocaust survivors and others and their children and their families express this truth in the natural. It's severe. It's in, in the natural, it's incurable. But we all go through pain. We all have moments. We all have things that we have in our lives. And maybe I could ask this question. Do you feel like that sometime? That the pain is unbearable. We were ministering to one Holocaust surviving family, and they had the kids, their grown up children. The son who had been serving in the army had major depression. The daughter has a huge uh, uh, eating disorder, bulimia. And they're just the son and the daughter. They, they feel guilty. 
that they, their parents survived, so they survived, they feel guilty because of all those who didn't survive. Listen to verse 18 in the same chapter. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mill, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. It's the incurable wound. It's a process of God restoring the people to the land, restoring the land, and healing the incurable wound. Verse 19 to 20, Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them. We're growing all the time. And they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. Children also, as before. I love this. And their congregation shall be established before me. He's doing it, brothers and sisters. He's doing it. Verses 22 to 24. This is the antidote to the incurable world. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, and until he has performed the intents of his heart. And then these words, because I believe these words are for all of us, in the latter days, you will consider it. We're in, I think, most people accept that we are in at least the beginning of the last days. And now we can consider, is God in this restoration? Is God doing what he said he would do? Did you know there is more prophecies concerning the restoration of Israel than there is about the first coming of our Lord? Do you know why it's happening? Because love never fails. The story of Daniel Elkabal is that is the Dutch man that received the yard. He's a great picture of love never fails. A bridge between the Christian church, loving Israel, and the Jewish people who are in a process of discovering their own Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Jesus said this in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Vaccine denier, love the person who took it. The person who took it, love the person who did it. Love one another as I have loved but you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Why? Because love never fails. And we know these words very well. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, 
I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love says, I'll hide those Torah scrolls for you. Yeah, I'll put my life at risk for the Jewish people. Yeah, I'll lay my life down. I know what I receive from them. I know that if I believe in Jesus and the Jewish people come running to me and say, help. I don't have my Jesus without the Jewish people. He is Jewish. I don't have my Bible without the Jews. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. I have two children that I love dearly. Actually, I have four. I have two here in England. And I have a granddaughter, and I can't, I'm sure I'm not that old, Robert. But anyway. Um, and, you know, I want to say this about the Jew Arab thing in these terms. And it's going to sound ridiculous, maybe, to you. I can't love half my child. It's just not possible. I mean, it's crazy. How could I love only the Jewish half? And hate the Arab half? It's not possible. He has called us to love. He has called us to love because love never fails. He's called us to love against every division that comes. The black-white division. Love never fails. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. People say to us sometimes, how do you live in Israel? I mean, you're under threat. We live approximately the nearest point to the northern border of Lebanon, which is under the control of Hezbollah, who are funded and trained by Iran, who say they'd like to wipe Israel off the map. Pretty much every week, they say. Who President Biden is about to potentially sign a new agreement with, even though they've enriched uranium to a level of 84% and could have a nuclear bomb within 10 days. And, yet, and most people are not even aware this is going on. And Israel is getting ready for war. With Iran, I pray, Lord, don't let anything happen while I'm out of this country. I want to be home. And people say, how do you live knowing that just 25 miles, Hezbollah has some 60, maybe 60,000, maybe more rockets that they wish to fire at Israel? How do you live with that? And there's a very simple answer to that question. We have shopping to <laughs> There is hummus to be purchased. <laughs> Chicken schnitzels. Never had one of those. We have to do it. So you just get on with life. You try to be as prepared as possible. You know it can happen. And you get on with it. 
This morning in church, people were singing, Because He Lives, I can face tomorrow. I was thinking, yeah, it is, well, that's, that's true. So true for those of us who love Him. Love never fails. And I want to also now challenge you the word. The Lord, the Lord wants us to be people who shine, who really reveal his glory. So by the way, you are his sons and daughters. I know most of you are not Jewish, it's okay. <laughs> I know some of you are open, and it's still okay. It's a rash decision. <laughs> I had to get that in. You know, when Paul wrote, wrote to the Galatians, and he said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female, bond nor free, we're all one in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Yeshua. That's how I understand it. Um, what was he saying? Is he saying we're all the same? Um, there's a, a wonderful way of doing this. You'll have to bear with me. I love doing this. And I always get the same reaction all around the world, every culture. It's all the same. <coughs> so I always say to the brothers first. There are a few, to, uh, a few more than there were this morning. Let's put it that way. Um, brothers, are men different from women? <laughs> this is always better. This is it. Men say something like this. Yes. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. <laughs> Let me try it the other way around. Watch this. Sisters, are women different from men? Yes. <laughs> you see? We all need to repent. That's the truth of it. Guys, get on your knees now. Wimpish God, what kind of men is this? <laughs> and Paul wasn't saying men and women are different. He wasn't saying Jews and Gentiles are different. He was saying there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. We're all one. We're all level. We need each other in this kingdom of God. We need each other. We need job prayers. Israel needs your prayers. But also, we're praying for you. We have a responsibility too to take God's word out of Zion to the nations. That's why I'm here. And to be a blessing and to bless you. But we need your prayers. We're under pressure. But then we're all under pressure. I mean, I want to share with you what I believe is a now word in closing. And, um, in Isaiah 59, and verse 14, it's like a report on Sky News. Because I get Sky News, I see it. Even on Mount Carmel, I can see Sky News. Can you believe it? I don't always want to see it, but I can. Sometimes they even jump all the way up to Hungary, I definitely don't want to see that. Um, <laughs> Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity, justice, fairness cannot enter. Truth has fallen in the street. I mean, I saw this thing 
Just the other day, I started before I left, the woman who's going to make a speech in Oxford saying that women are women. That was an interesting thing to say. And she's going to be opposed by all the transgender people. Like she shouldn't have the right to say a woman is a woman and women need their space, women need their own restrooms. Last time I checked in the Word of God, he made male and female. Truth has fallen in the street. There's no justice. This is, you know, everything is shifting. It's becoming more and more extreme. And the world's getting more and more dangerous. But then the Lord told us perilous times were coming in those days. So why are we surprised? Why are we shocked? Yes, we should be praying for politicians. Yes, we should be trying to improve our communities. This is not an excuse for paralysis. But what it is, is a challenge. That we are living in a reality today that we've never lived and served in before. And believe me, it's in Israel too. And then, the Lord says through Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, and I believe he says it to all of us, arise. Get up. That's what it means. Get up. Stop being passive. Arise and shine for your light. Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. We're his sons. We're his daughters. He adopted you. I know what it is to be an adopted parent. He adopted you. He loves you. You belong to him. There are no second class citizens. He brings a Jew all the way from Israel to tell you you are as important as any Jewish believer there is in this kingdom of God. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, and here's the state of the world. Just open, you know, look online in the news media. Just listen. And you see this is true. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people who I despair for, and I ache for, and I see the confusion. And so many of these confused people are going to walk into our churches and our congregations, and they don't even know what identity they are. Deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. And his glory will be seen upon you. Hallelujah. We are the hope of the world through him. His glory, his glory, our service, our hearts, our love as Jews and Gentiles in the kingdom of God. And by the way, yeah, we went through a terrible time with lockdowns. But one thing I will say is, COVID was real. I know people who died. And I know six people in the UK, some of them were very precious to me who died. I, I, I couldn't get there to the funeral. I was getting phone calls. A woman weeping down the phone. Mum's just died. A mum I loved, who I was looking forward to sharing a cup of tea with, is gone, taken. She couldn't breathe, said the daughter. And she was gone. Maybe, I'm sure some of you know some people have died. 
and I'm sorry. During lockdown, we were locked down too. We couldn't move around, you know, go to the supermarket and celebrate like Liverpool scoring a goal. Yeah, I'm in the supermarket, yeah. I'm out. I'm on an outing. I've gone to the chemist. Gosh, what days they were. There were people in the churches and congregations in Israel and around the world saying, we won't ever get back together again. I think we're together too. Love Zoom. Zoom served a purpose. But it's so much more important to be together. Yeah. And on Mount Carmel, you know, you think, okay, so what about all the lost people? What about all the unsaved people? Well, we were allowed to go and record a message, so we could record messages that would be played out on YouTube. And then eventually, you know, we could do a bit of worship, and eventually we came back together. And I remember the first time we all came back together, and there was a lot of weeping. There was a lot of worship, and a lot of weeping. And the second time, this family rolls in. The Jewish mum and dad with six children. Teenagers, some of them. Big kids. And they went, hey, hi. Hey, Colin, hi. Don't know these people. <laughs> Hello, it's so good to see you. And they're saying it's all like the leaders and everything else. What's this? They said, well, you don't know us, but we've been tuning in. <laughs> and they all come to faith during lockdown. You cannot lock down the Spirit of God. You cannot lock down the glory of God. And he says, arise and shine. His glory is on you. It cannot be prevented. No matter how dark it gets out there, we're the ones who carry his light. Take it onto the streets of the black country. And shine. And be his ambassadors. Be his sons. Be his daughters. Stand. And while you're doing all of that, please pray for Israel's continued salvation and security. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Arise. Shine. For your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Hallelujah. I'm going to declare the ironic blessing in a moment in Hebrew and in English over all of us. I want to say at the back, I do have two new books, but they all got sold out today. There's a kind of run called The Spirit of Adoption. If you're interested in getting a hold of the book, we have a website for it. You can order it and we'll send it to you. www.adoptionspirit.com And I can actually hear my wife saying, remember, tell them, tell them. <laughs> and we, have, we do newsletters about once a quarter. And if you're interested in receiving news about what's happening on the ground in Israel, what's happening in our own lives and ministry, there's a sign-up sheet at the back. And there's also a nice sheet you can take how to support us as a family. We do not receive a salary. The Lord told us to live without one. I don't recommend it for everybody, but he definitely told us, both of us, just as Yaakov arrived as a baby, 
no salary. So we just live by faith and we receive the call. It's very hard to budget we live by faith. Uh, but the Lord has provided for us. And I just want to encourage you to uh, make avail yourself of what's at the back. So let's pray. And I want to declare this blessing. And as I declare the blessing, if you'd like to open your hands to receive this blessing. And I really want to thank you for, for receiving me. And um, listen, any time you hear the word Israel, please pray for us. Please pray for us. We need your prayers. I can't stand the declaring Hebrew and the New English. Yevarachacha Adonai v'yishvarachacha Ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'hineka Yesar Adonai panav elecha v'yesem lecha shalom The Lord bless you and keep you and let him shine through you in the black country. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you peace from the Sashalom, from the Prince of Peace, Yeshua, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen.